praise the name of the Lord. More of him and less of me. How many can say amen to that? Amen. If you would open your Bible to the book of Jude. The book of Jude. I'm going to be in verse 20. book of Jude, verse 20. When you got it, say so. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto, unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Father, we humble ourselves before you this morning. We thank you for the truths that we have sung of today. We thank you for the truth that is you and that is found in your word. And as we wrap up here, Lord God, in the book of Jude, may our hearts be attentive to what you are saying to your church. May we be responsive to you, God, not just to hear but to obey and we pray all of this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So as we're wrapping up in the book of Jude, Defending the Faith, this fourth message, we could have probably extended a little bit more in, in the middle part, but I feel like we got what Jude was trying to communicate, which is important for us. But today I want to talk about the best defense, the best defense. And so for some of you that are, you know, into sports and things like that, you know that, you know, typically the best defense is a good offense. And so if you have a good offense, what you do is you overwhelm the other team with your offense and you overwhelm them. And it, and it ties in, I think, beautifully with what Minister Hector was praying at the end, which is that they would see Jesus, right? Like that is the offense that needs to be manifesting in our lives, that the world would not just see the church, a religious or institution, but that the world would see Christ. But there has to be a proactiveness in us. We have to be proactive to see that. And so there should be no question, and, and based on reading Jude's words, that true Christianity is progressive. There should be no question that true Christianity should be progressive. In other words, you should be able to look at your life and listen, and, and don't, don't grade yourself based on your neighbor, hallelujah, grade yourself based on the mirror, amen. 
Grade yourself based upon what you know of yourself. And what should happen is you should see progress in your Christianity. You should see growth. And what I can tell you after 20-something years of being a Christian, there are some things that I saw as like just astronomical growth, just overwhelming, miraculous growth. And then there are other things that I'm like a caterpillar or something like that, like a turtle. And 20-something years later, I'm still... Uh, trudging along. I'm still trying to get there. And, 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 and sometimes it's, it's almost as if I feel like I've gotten there and then the next week I find out, nope, you're not there. But nonetheless, there should be progress. The, the, when, when you need to get worried, let me tell you when you, need, when you need to be worried. You need to be worried when you are no longer struggling. When your sin no longer bothers you, when your shortcomings, no, you don't care about them anymore. When you get to that place, that's dangerous. Because at that point, you're no longer sensitive to the Spirit of God. At that point, you are no longer even caring about your conscience that should be bothering you. At that point, you don't even care about your neighbor. Come on now. But true Christianity is progressive yet, check this out now, progressive Christianity is not true Christianity. See, true Christianity is progressive, but progressive Christianity is not true Christianity. If you guys are familiar with Pastor Mike Winger, who came here a couple of years ago from, um, from California and... He is a, a powerful apologist in the faith. Uh, he's very thoughtful in, in the way that he deals with Scripture. And so right now, him and Lisa Childers, I'm not really familiar with Lisa. I've seen her on a couple of, 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 of podcast things and little um, things here and there on YouTube. But nonetheless, they're, they're obviously friends, and they are digging into the 20. They're answering 23, 23 questions or statements from progressive Christianity. What he calls it, it's like the manifesto of progressive of Christianity. Let me just give you an example of some of the things that are there within progressive Christianity that they answered these questions. I'm not going to give you all 23, but one of them is this. It, 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 um, I only did seven. So it is not sin to cuss. Progressive Christianity declares it is not sin to cuss. Uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to expound any of these. I'm going to let you go and watch the videos if you care to. And let me just say this, there are, and I'm not saying that one in particular, this might be the wrong spot to say that because I may be affirming that thought, but that's not what I'm saying at all. I would disagree with that vehemently. I don't think that cursing is okay for Christians. Nonetheless, we can move on. The next thing is that it is not a sin to be gay, not a sin to be gay. Well, what I was going to say is this, is that there are some things that they get right. These two things, not, not, not particularly. But there are some things that they get right. The third one, I think that this is okay. It is not a sin not to vote Republican. Come on now, you can laugh about that. It is not a sin to not vote Republican. I, I can agree with that one. They got, you know, it, you know, you can not vote, you can whatever. Anyway, we, we, that's another conversation. I, but I think there's a broader answer. Nonetheless, they break these all down. Number four, abortion is a complicated issue. It needs to be legal, safe, and rare. This is what they declare. I, I did. I, I want to just throw this in here because I heard Pastor Mike when he talked about this. So first of all, uh, you know, when you're looking at the the side of being safe, how is that? That's not even possible because because you 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 gotta you gotta sign a waiver because you could die in the process. So how is that safe? It can't be. That's that, that's medically impossible. Nonetheless, number five: wrath of God and hell aren't literal. 
Number six, anyone who interprets the Bible literally needs to take a literature class. Oh, my goodness. See, you are supposed to take this Bible literally in, a, in, 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 the, in, a, in the manner that you would read literature, right? So you have poetic books. You have prophetic books. You have historical books. You have narrative. You have, um, you know, you have analogies in there. So all, that's all literature. You have to understand how to read things. Like when Jesus says, um, hey, you know, it'd be better for you, you know, to cut off your right hand than to continue sinning or to pluck out your right eye to continue sinning. Do you think that Jesus was advocating for mutilation of the flesh? Maybe, I don't know, right? Like he might be, he's trying, he, no, he's using hyperbolic language to show the, the, his hearers how serious sin is. And what he is wanting to let them do is to see a picture. It would be better for you to pluck out your eye than for you to continue sinning with your eyes. It would be better for you to cut your hand off than for you to continue sinning with your hand. Jesus is using this hyperbole not to tell people, mutilate yourselves. He's telling them, kill your flesh. Get sin out of your life. But nonetheless, you still need to take it literally. You just need to know how to apply the scriptures. Number six, this will be the... the Number seven, this will be the last one that I say. You will either use Jesus to interpret the Bible or the Bible to interpret Jesus. You will either use Jesus to interpret the Bible or the Bible to interpret Jesus. And so, again, I encourage you to look up uh, Pastor Mike Winger on the BibleThinker.org, and you go there, and you can hear all 23 of their responses to these particular things. But nonetheless, here's what I want to say this morning. I want you to think about this. Defending the faith is most effective when we are offensive rather than defensive. Defending the faith is most effective when we are offensive rather than defensive. In other words, we're not supposed to just be there waiting to get hit with a question. We're not supposed to be there just waiting to, for the opportunity to you know, answer what somebody... We should be ready to answer those questions. However, we don't need to be playing defense all the time, church. We need to play offense. We need to be out there. We need to be moving the ball forward down the field because if you watched the Super Bowl the other day, they told me... I mean, they said Tampa's defense was tight work. Hello, somebody. They said Tampa wasn't giving up any points, and so the the Chiefs couldn't move the ball down the field. They couldn't put the ball in the end zone because defense was good. But nonetheless, guess what? They didn't just they, they didn't just they didn't just lose the game because of you know great defense. They lost the game because of great offense. Hello. They lost the game because someone was able to move the ball down. I assure you, the Chiefs' defense is not that bad. Hello. They didn't get to the Super Bowl being a terrible team. But nonetheless, when you look at, the, you, you got to have a strong offense. And when you are playing offensive Christianity, when you're, when you're having an offensive faith, then what you are doing is you're moving the ball down the field. You are moving the kingdom forward. That's what we are called to do. And if we're going to be defenders of the faith, then we need to be offensive in our approach. So the first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say offensive faith. Is vertically sourced. Offensive faith is vertically sourced. Look at verse 20 to verse 21. 
As, as Jude is concluding his message of warning, he is giving believers the most important component to defending the faith. Look what he says here. He says, but you. So he's making this comparison, this, this, this comparison between the false teachers who were, remember we talked about it last week, spots in your love feast, grumblers. They were those who had gone the way of Cain and, uh, um, and, and erred in the greed of, of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. You know, those people who didn't respect authority. He says, but you. So he's making this comparison, this, 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 this contradiction between the two. And he's saying, but you... Beloved, those people are under judgment, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. He points out to them the most important component, which is the, 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 the need to have a solid, growing faith. The need to have a solid, growing faith is so very important. Why? Because a solid faith is a defendable faith. A faith that is growing is a faith that you can defend. But if you're stagnant, if you're lukewarm, if you're wishy-washy, how are you going to defend your faith? You're just going to tell them about your experiences. You know what people are going to say? That's your experience. And I'm all about testimony because I have a powerful testimony. However, not everybody in this room has the same testimony. Not all of us came to faith in Christ the same way. So what that means is that everybody else is going to come to Christ in different ways. Some people are going to come to church. You're going to invite them. They're going to hear the message. They're going to go to lunch with you, and you're going to be sitting down talking to them, and they're going to be like, man, what do I, you know, what, what, what do I need to do? Some people will sit down in the congregation, they'll be convicted of their sin, and, 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 and you may come up to them, and they may be like, man, I, I, hear, I hear the preaching, but what do I do? And you're going to call them to repentance and faith in Christ. Other people may be watching a television program, and that may be the way it happens. Someone may come to someone at work, and that may be the way it occurs. Nonetheless, everybody has a different way that they came to faith, a different way that they were rescued from their sin. However, there is a gospel to defend. There's a gospel that unifies us because no matter if you were like me, saved in a drug addiction and living uh, you know, a foul life, or you were a person who grew up in church all your life, and one day you heard a message, and it hit you different. Come on now. The gospel, the, the, the life, the goodness of God, the, the, the grace and mercy of God, the, the sinfulness of man that separates him from God, the, the mercy that God shows by reaching us through the cross and coming and dying in our place and the resurrection power of Jesus and the offer that God gives to all men, man, that is what unifies us. That is what makes us brothers and sisters, and that is what we have to defend in this world. And so what does he say? The first thing he says is building yourselves up. What does he mean by building yourselves up? He means increasing the potential of something or someone. It means to build on something or to build further. And so what is Jude saying? Jude is saying build further. He's saying continue to grow in your faith. Continue to build your faith. Don't listen to these false teachers. Don't become a grumbler like them. Don't become a spot in the love feast. Don't give in to their lifestyle. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't embrace because that in those times, that's progressive Christianity in those days. 
Don't embrace the progressive ideologies that are trying to infiltrate the church because if they do, what do they do? They minimize the power of the gospel. They minimize the effectiveness of God's word because the traditions of man are embraced instead of the truth of God's word. And so how are we supposed to build our faith? He gives us some points here. The first one I want you to, the first two I want to point out, and then the last three, I think these are the ones that are really the pillars, but these are things that, that, that I think that are there that we need to see clearly. The first thing is, he says, but you beloved, but you beloved, what does he do? Again, he makes this picture, this contrast, and he wants them to know while these people are under the judgment of God, you are under the love of God. You are the beloved of God. So the first thing I would say, if you're going to build your faith, you need to know who you are. If you are going to build a robust, defendable faith, you must know who you are and you must be reminded of who you are. You must know that you are a loved son. You are a loved daughter. You are loved by the most high God because love is the greatest motivator. And when you and I realize that we are loved, you know what we will do? We will live for the glory of God. We will live for the honor of God. We will, we will dig into that word because we don't want to offend God. We will honor him because we are beloved. When you know you are loved and you are not rejected, that moves you in a different way. You want to build your faith? Be reminded that you're loved. The second thing is this. He says, building yourself up on your most holy faith. How does faith come? Doesn't Paul say faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Now, if you're a Bible student, which I know you all are, you know that that text is contextually talking about what? Talking about salvation. That text is not just talking about faith in general. It is speaking of faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. But let me say this this way, and, and this is important for us. Saving faith is sustaining faith. The same way that you came to faith by hearing the word of God is the same way you will continue in the faith by hearing the word of God. It is the way that you will defend the faith by hearing the very word of God. And church, I need you to know that in our days that we're living in, when I talked about progressive Christianity, the reason why this is so important is because first and foremost, we need to defend the faith against those that are in the house calling themselves Christians. This is not about going out there in the world and trying to make, the, I, want to, I want to repeat this as we're wrapping up. This isn't about making the world believe like us. That's not, that's not the goal. The goal is to ensure that we know what the church should believe. We prayed this morning, we, uh, Sister Sonia asked us to pray, and, and she asked us to pray for um, this, this thing called the Equality Act. And so if any of you are familiar with this, and, and, and I need to make this crystal clear because, you know, whenever I talk about anything that even sounds political, depending on, you know, what, what news, you know, outlet you listen to, you know, you may hear this and think, oh, there he's getting political again. I'm not getting political. This is something that is going on in our world right now that we need to be aware of. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a Democrat thing or Republican thing. This isn't a Republican position versus a Democrat position. That's the way that they posture it. This is a truth versus a lie position. And what this Equality Act sounds like, it sounds like, oh, it's all about equality. It's a lie from, it's a lie from Satan. It's not about equality. We already have equality, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the civil rights movement gave us equality. Hello, somebody. Right? The equal opportunity employment, that gives us equality. Right? We have equality. That is not missing. But the Equality Act is something that is an attack on truth. Are you here? 
It is an attack. Listen, I, I said this with our men that I think that this is so very important for us to realize is that it is a, for if you're a woman in the building, the, the Equality Act should upset you highly. Because what this is the greatest affront to women that I've ever seen. Because what this is saying is that because there is no, you know, there's no genders now. Well, what about all the women equality stuff that we've been fighting for for all of these years? Now you don't matter. You know why? Because if a guy decides that he is a woman, guess what? He can go into your locker room. He can go into you. That's what this Equality Act has packed inside of it. And don't let anyone lie to you. That is what is in there. I challenge you just, just once if you've never done it before. Go read the bill yourself. Don't take my word for it. Go read what's in the bill. It may be long. I don't know how long. I, I'm not going to go read the bill because I trust the people that have communicated what's wrong with this bill. Lawyers are communicating. Liberal. Listen to me now. Liberal lawyers are communicating that this is an affront to women. Not just that, but this is also an affront to the church. Why? Not just Christians. I say the church, but it's not just Christians, it's also Muslims, it's anybody who, who, who waves the banner of conservatism. And know this, because people don't know this, but Muslims typically raise the banner of conservatism. Because they believe in what we would call traditional marriage. They believe in certain things that, that, that would fly in, 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 un, under that banner. Jewish people are conservatives. And, and, and what, and what a, a lawyer has communicated is this. Equality is what? It's so that way you, and, and let, let, let me state this because I think that this needs to be clear. The Equality Act is being shoved down people's throat with the thought that people who are part of the LGBTQ plus community who identify as that are not, are, you know, are not, are not marginalized, are not, are not you know, treated in, you know, with disparity. I already said this, we already have those laws in place for everyone. But we need to grasp the truth here. The truth is, this isn't just about protecting their rights, and this is what the lawyers have communicated. It's not about protecting one group and, 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 and you know, making sure all groups are equal. What it is doing is this. It is just saying, we're going to protect this group, and we're going to disregard this group. And so if you, if you hold a different position, <laughs> you can be sued. You can experience legal ramifications because of this. How does this tie into all of this defending the faith? Because progressive Christians are saying nothing. As a matter of fact, they are applauding the Equality Act. That's why we need to know our Bibles. That's why we need to know the truth of Scripture. Because we need to love, listen, we need to make sure that every image bearer, whatever color you are, whatever sexual orientation you prefer, you need to be treated as an image bearer of the Most High God. Male, woman, black, white, whatever, gay, straight, doesn't matter. You need to be treated with honor, with dignity, with respect. But we need to make sure that we are not embracing lies in the place of truth. So again, this is not a political rant. This is what is being shoved down our throats and our world. And you should be praying, and not just praying, but you should be writing your senators, calling your senators if you care about this, and saying, man, vote no. Because right now, we're in a peculiar place. If everybody votes party line, guess what happens? Kamala Harris comes in there, the VP, who is pro the Equality Act, and she gives the deciding vote. And you know what happens? That becomes law of the land. 
The second thing, or the third thing here that we see that, that he says is this, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. So we need to know who we are. We need to know God's word. The third thing is this, is we need to seek. Look what he says, praying in the Holy Spirit. We need to seek the Holy Spirit's presence. We need to seek the Holy Spirit's presence. Praying in the Spirit is about communion and surrender. Praying in the Spirit isn't about speaking in tongues. That may happen for some people, but not every person. Not every person is going to speak in tongues. That's just a, a biblical reality. But every believer has the ability to pray in the Spirit to pray in communion with the Spirit, to pray under the inspiration of the Spirit. If you and I are going to build our faith, you know what we have to do? If we're going to build our faith, we need to be sure, 100% sure, that we are surrendering to the Spirit of God, that we are not praying according to our will, but we're praying according to the will of God. So if we're going to build our, our most holy faith, we have to seek the Holy Spirit's presence. The next thing that he says there, keeping yourself, verse 21, keeping yourselves in the love of God. Again, we go back to this word love. The, third, the, the, the fourth thing there is to abide in the Father's love. Seek the presence of the Holy Spirit. Surrender to the Spirit of God in prayer, but also abide in the Father's love. The, the, the fourth thing is to abide in the Father's love. What does he mean by keeping yourselves in the Father's love? Walking in obedience is what he's saying. Jesus said that. We went through John 15 when we talked about love in the, um, in, in, in the last series, and we dealt with God's love and how God's love operates in our lives, and we looked at how Jesus tells us that if we are going to to abide in the love of God, we have to keep the commands of God. We have to obey God. And so what is Jude affirming? Jude is affirming that walking in obedience is what? It is about positioning ourselves for God's expression of his love, his blessing. And here's what I want you to know is that sometimes it is in development and discipline. Hallelujah. Sometimes God's love doesn't feel good. Hello. Sometimes you're in the middle of a moment or a season, and guess what? You are walking in obedience as much as you know how, and yet it is rough. You are walking in obedience as, as best you know how, and you feel the potter's hand a little bit tighter, a little bit closer, and, and, and he doesn't feel close, but you feel the pressure of what is going on in your life, and yet you're trying to walk in obedience, and God is saying, daughter, I love you, son, I love you. And in this season, my love is there for you. And it's not because you have disobeyed. It is not because you have uh, strayed away. It is simply because I love you, I'm developing you. Nobody enjoys that, as Hebrews says. But the fruit that comes out of it is peaceable. It's honorable to God. And the last thing he says is this. He says, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So we seek the Holy Spirit's presence. We abide in the Father's love. And the last thing is we live expectantly in the Son. We live expectantly in the Son. Church, our salvation is both finished and it is future. Our salvation is, is finished. Jesus says it is finished. He's done. 
He did the work of purchasing our salvation. He rose again. In a few weeks, we'll celebrate a Resurrection Sunday. And I think the title of the message is, He is risen, He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Because there is something about that. There was a closure that took place. It is finished, and yet we look forward. We look ahead to the future, to the mercy of our Lord, to the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we are mindful of this, what happens? Our faith is strengthened even in the midst of great trials, in the midst of great loss, in the midst of great blessing, and in the midst of great persecution. In the midst of all of this, our faith is firm. And you know what? That's a faith that people see Jesus in. Pastor Ed and his wife, Lisa Young, they lost their daughter. If you heard, if you, if, if you get churchleaders.com, you may have seen this article, but it's one of the saddest stories. Their daughter had a bout with depression some years ago. And in that bout with depression, she uh, ended up she she ended up getting drunk, and it's this is such a sad story. She ends up getting drunk and then she starts having seizures. And it wasn't like she was drinking like for a long time. This was like a short period of time. So she started suffering from seizures as a result. That's how her body responded. She got into rehab. Everything was seeming okay. And then one day her father calls and she, he sounds like something is wrong. And he goes, picks her up. So she relapsed, you know, had a drink, uh, some drinks and, you know, wasn't in her right state of mind. And comes home with her, sees her the next morning. And she, you know, asks her how she's doing. She's doing okay. He's in his office. He hears a noise. She fell, had a seizure apparently, and she died. And when they shared their story with their church, they said something remarkable. And I can't even imagine this. But they were like, it is, it is, it is overwhelming because in this moment, we have great joy, but we also have great sorrow. In the middle of that great loss, in the middle of that great disappointment, in the middle of something that would shake every one of us, and I'm sure they're being shook to their core. In the middle of that, what is it that sustains them? They're looking forward to the mercy of Jesus Christ. They're trusting in our great Savior. If you didn't notice, there's a picture of the Trinity here because you see praying and the Holy Spirit keeping yourself in the love of God and looking forward to the mercy of Jesus Christ we see this Trinity, this picture of the Trinity, which should encourage us. Why? Because we know that this shows us that God is not is fully active in our defending of the faith. He is fully active in the building of our faith. He's not absent. He's not, he's not doing something else. He is fully, fully engaged. And so we should be encouraged by that. The second thing, I'll ask you to repeat after me, is this. Say, offensive faith, offensive faith. is evangelistic. In expression. in expression. Offensive faith is evangelistic in expression. Think about that because when you look at the faith, it's not just about building your faith. Remember, Jude is talking as well about those who are in their midst, not just the false teachers, but those who are being confused by the false teachers. See, something that happens is we hear this, right? We hear this often. As the church, we are always to be on mission. How many all would say amen to that? Amen, right? So I got three or four amens, and I got to help a couple of head nods. I know it's early. But nonetheless, we, we, we hear this, and the question is this, do we live it? 
We say amen to this. Like, we are always supposed to be on mission. But, but, but question, right? Like, real quick, you don't have to raise your hand. Are you always on mission? Do you live your life looking for opportunities that you can share the faith, looking for opportunities that you can impact someone with the gospel? Do you, do you come to the, to the weekend time together and have you, have you thought, man, who, man, who have I invited this week? Who have I impacted this week? Who have I, who have I, who have I contacted this week to try to minister to them, to encourage them, whether in the house or outside of the house? Like, what, am I on mission or am I so focused on my life and what's going on with me that I'm not on mission? We're supposed to be on mission, and, and Paul reminds the church here. He tells them what? Look at verse 22. He says, and on some have, have compassion, making a distinction, but others so, um, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but on others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, having even the hating even the garment defiled with the flesh. So here's what we have to realize is as we invite people, as the enemy sends people, you know the enemy sends people to churches, you know that, right? (laughs) If you don't, now you do. Jesus made it clear, right? He said that. While they were sleeping, the enemy sowed tares in the midst of the wheat. I'm not, I'm not being hyperbolic. I'm telling you the truth. The enemy sends people. We have to be careful when people come. Like, we can't just rejoice automatically. Hey, someone came. We ain't desperate. Hello. We're grateful, but we need to, we need to know that the enemy is going to send people. And as people wrestle with their faith, here's the thing. The potential for the influence of false teaching increases. Why? Because people come from different places. They have different backgrounds. They have different beliefs. They have different connections. You have people who are listening to so-and-so. They don't come to church, but they listen to this particular preacher, and you know, ah, that, that preacher's not good. What happens when that person comes here? And they start to like it here, but they also like that teacher. And then you start having conversations, and they're quoting that teacher all the time, and they're saying, hey, why don't you read this book from that teacher? What are you going to do? Hey, Bishop, can you have a conversation? <laughs> hey, Pastor Aldo, I think that you need a, you know, hey, minister, you know. I, I, no, 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 no. You're a brother. You're a sister. We need to be aware of these things. Yet we're called to do what? We are called to be aware. We're exhorted to be on a rescue mission. We're supposed to be on the lookout in the house and outside of the house. We're supposed to be looking. We have to be willing to get involved. Listen to me, church. Discipleship is messy. Say that with me. Discipleship is messy. Discipleship is messy. People's lives are a mess. People's lives are, are they, 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 listen, it's not all clean. You know, you want to be part of helping. You want to be part of serving, and yet it's messy. The other day I was driving home and bringing, bringing Josiah home. It was one of those days where, you know, Florida, the sky was threatening with rain. And we're coming past Oviedo High School. I'm on my way home. I have a time, a time frame to keep because I got to get him there. And I, as I'm coming by, I look to the left and I see this guy. He's an older guy. Not only is he older, I can see the way he's walking around his car. He's like leaning like this on the car, really like he's handicapped or something like that. And, I, and I'm like, man, did he stop? And, I, and as, as I'm looking, I'm looking, man, I got to turn around and see. And so, I, you know, and I don't do that. I don't listen. If I see somebody's young, I'm like, they got it. I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> well, if they're on that side of the road, I'm like, man, come on, somebody else is going to go. And, you know, three or three other people did come, you know, to see the guy. But I just felt, I felt terrible. And so I turned around, you know, got over there. But I knew this much. I was like, man, it's going to be messy. Hello. And not only is it going to be messy, it could start pouring. And as we're there, you know, twisting and then turning and getting the tire off and getting the other tire on and all this kind of stuff, guess what? I started to feel the raindrops. I'm like, boy, we're about to get soaked up in this piece. <laughs> and praise God for his mercy. He held the rain off, right, until I got in the car and then it started to rain a little bit. But nonetheless, it was, it was a messy situation, right? It was a situation that I knew going into it, I wasn't going to be able to stay clean like that. I was going to have to get, I couldn't just stand there and direct him. Hey, go ahead and do this. Hey, go ahead and do that. I, I couldn't do that. He couldn't do that. It's the same thing with discipleship, church. Discipleship is messy. And let me, let me help you. You are called to be a disciple maker. And you may not be at that level. You may be in the mess right now. Hello, somebody. And so you know what that means? You need to reach out. You need to allow someone to assist you. You need to allow someone to be involved in your life, and that way you can be accountable and you can grow. Because guess what? Your Christianity should be progressive. It goes from you being discipled to you discipling others who are going to disciple others. So it's supposed to be happening with us. So what does he tell us to do? He says that we're supposed to be ready. We're supposed to be ready. He says a couple of things here. Just look at it really quickly. And he says, on some have compassion. Making a distinction. It can also be said there, uh, um, some have compassion. Those who are doubting is what one of the texts says. And so the first thing he says is that you are to show mercy to a group of people. Have compassion on them. Those who are doubting. Those who are struggling. Listen, don't get frustrated with people that doubt. Are you here? Hello. Come on now. Don't, don't, don't be upset like, oh, my goodness, they're still doubting. Listen, they're going to struggle. They're going to go walk with people through that. Equip people. Don't, and listen, and I'm, I'm notorious for saying, hey, read this book, read that book, because I think books say a lot more than I can say in one, in one seating or whatever the case is. But nonetheless, you can sit down with someone. You can have, talk to them about the book they're reading. Help, help them with, you know, if you use Right Now Media, I use Right Now Media. You help them. Hey, let's talk about what you're learning. Let's, let's talk about how you are growing. That's what making disciples is about. On some, show mercy. But he goes on. He doesn't just say that. He says, verse 23, but on others, save them with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Or in some translations, snatching them out of the fire. So the first thing he says is show mercy, express compassion to those who are doubting. On others, express urgency to those who are in danger of eternal judgment. He says what? Snatching them out of the fire. Why? Because, we, church, we have to understand. Listening to false teaching endangers you for hellfire. Those who give in to false teaching are in danger of eternal judgment. This is fact. So we snatch them out of the fire. But then he goes on, he says this. Hating even the garment defiled by flesh. What does he mean by that? The third thing he says is for you, be on guard of being contaminated. Because you can get dirty helping somebody and wash it off, but you can also get contaminated by helping somebody and suffer consequences. So, you know, there may be a moment when you go to that person and say, hey, you know, I think that that teaching might be something that's off. And if they continue on in that teaching, then you know what? You may need to call in reinforcements and get somebody who is more mature in the faith than you, has more experience than you, and say, hey, man, I think we need to have a conversation with this person because this person is believing things that are leading them to live an unholy lifestyle. 
Don't get sucked into that lifestyle. That's what, that's what Jude is warning. See, a proactive, offensive, uh, offensive faith is missional. As with any mission, here's what's important, is that we are prepared because preparation is vital to our success. Our mission is to do what? It's to win souls. It's to build faith, and it's to stay pure before God in the process. It is to win souls. It's to bring the, the gospel to lives. It is to continue to encourage folks in the gospel, building their faith, and it is also to keep them pure before God, to stay pure before God in the process, not to become more like the world, but to influence the world toward Christ. That's what we're supposed to be doing. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. See, offensive faith faith. is God-dependent. Offensive faith is God-dependent. So Jude ends his letter, and we see here in verse 24, He ends his letter with a doxological benediction. There's one of my big words. That's a big word for you, right? So tomorrow when someone asks you, hey, what did you do this weekend? Hey, I learned about a doxological benediction. They're going to be like, what? (laughs) Doxological benediction. Doxological benediction. You can say it. You can say it. Doxological benediction. There you go. He ends his, 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 his exhortation with the doxological benediction. What does that really mean? What does it mean? It means a song of praise as a closing blessing. Doxology, right? Where do we get this word from, right? It's a liturgical word. Doxa means glory, right? So it's, it's glory, right? Logia, it means a saying or a word, right? And so it's a glory saying. And so in the liturgical church, it's, it's, it's normally a short song of praise, right? So that's where the word comes from, doxology. Just, just try to help. So when you explain it to your friends about what a doxological benediction is, you can be like, hey, this is where it comes from. It's a Greek term, and it goes from, you know, two words, doxa and logia. Doxa, logia, right? So this, so this is the word that it, it, uh, is used here, and, and, and this is what, what, what Jude does. So he, he closes. So let's look at this doxological benediction. How does he close the letter? He says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling in the midst of this, know this, you stumble before you fall. Are you here? You know that, right? (laughs) You usually don't just fall like, you know, you don't just face plant uh, unless you're riding a bike at a certain speed and then all of a sudden you find yourself on the floor and your bike is somewhere else. That's happened to me. I'm just saying. (laughs) But typically... There is a stumbling before you fall. And so what, is, what, what does Jude say? Jude says, not unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. God is the one who is able to keep you from stumbling if you're praying in the Spirit if you are remaining in the love of God, if you are looking forward to the mercy of Christ, to God our Savior, to the only God and Savior, who alone is wise, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forevermore. Amen. He he does this short song of praise in order to express to us what? To remind us that defending the faith is directly connected to God's ability to keep us from stumbling. It's not about us, guys. It's about him. He's the one that keeps us. 
He's the one that empowers us to defend the faith because he's the one that keeps us from getting entangled in the mess, but he's also the one that gives us the grace to liberate others from the mess. He reminds us of this. In the end, an offensive faith is God-dependent and is expressed in an ongoing worship. Why does this matter? Because, church, we have to be those who are living in a constant state of praise, of worship, of recognition that God is the source of eternal life, that God is the sustainer of our faith, and that God is the sovereign over all. This is what Jude wants us to be reminded of, that God is the one that gives us the strength to, to, to continue marching on. He is the sovereign ruler, and we're supposed to live a life where we remember it is unto him who is able to keep me. I'm not keeping myself. I'm not holding it all together. There's someone else who holds it all together. Amen? My closing question for you is this. Do you have an offensive faith? Do you have an offensive faith? Or are you just waiting to see what happens? Do you have an offensive faith? If you don't have an offensive faith, today's the day for you to say, God, I want to be a person who has an offensive faith. I want to be a person who is praying in the spirit. I want to be a person who is abiding in the love, keeping myself in the love of God. I want to be a person who is looking forward to the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be that person. If you're not that person, today's the day that you can humble your heart before God and say, God, I want to be that person. And I, I don't want to sit around and just wait to see what happens. But I want to be a person with an offensive faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you so much for your uh, amazing grace and mercy that you show us every day. Lord, thank you because you are the one that keeps us. You are the one that sustains us. You are the one who guides us in all things and all truth. And so I pray today, God, that we would be a people who are offensive in our faith. Not, not only offensive because we will be offensive, God, but offensive, Lord, that we would think strategically, that we would think ahead, that we would look forward, that we would pray with intentionality and faith believing for the salvation of those who don't know you and also being part of the edification of those who do. Father, keep us from the deceitful doctrines of demons and help us to be light bearers in the midst of this darkening world. And as we prayed earlier, God, I pray again with my brothers and sisters in this room, Father, lead our Senate in righteousness with regards to this Equality Act, this legislation that is going to be considered here shortly. Lord, give them ears to hear from you. And may righteousness and justice prevail here. We pray for your mercy in this, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you need communion, please raise your hand in the up.